0: This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za.
1: It's 11.36 and a conversation that I know many of you have been looking forward to. It is with the acclaimed, respected renowned veteran South African journalist, Menoma Venda Matiani. She's written a book, not just one, a few, but she's written a book recently that's been very well received internationally. It's titled Eyes in the Night. And what it really does is it explores the thoughts, the chronicles of her grandmother, who would reminisce, is not quite the word, but who would really reflect on the Anglo Zulu War and how it shaped their family. But more than that, what Venda mm-hmm. Matiana does is look at that very personal, visceral experience in her family, uh, this war through the eyes of her grandmother, and try to locate it in the public consciousness of South Africa as a whole. And whether or not these are some of the historical events that then shape a nation state. Uh, And so she joins us today to just explore the journey. And we thought it's really good to speak to her. We ideally wanted to speak to her on the 16th of December. But uh, diaries are such that, you know, we've got to be flexible because we thought on that particular day of reconciliation, which once upon a time was known as Dingan Day, was also known as the day of the vow. um, It has a particular poignancy. To the South African story, because the South African story is rife with bloodletting, ideology, struggle on all sides, and everybody believes that their history is paramount. And what this book tries to do is say our histories intersect, but our experiences are very, very different, is how I understand the preamble of the book to be. So here she is, Noma Venda Matiana. Good morning. Good morning, Tanami. Thank are you, are you so
0: much for having me here. It is and a pleasure. And thank you more because I'm being interviewed by my daughter. Yes.
1: Mm. Please tell them how we know each other. Okay. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> so, keep on my No, So, 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 here's an interesting thing. Uh, my mother keeps her friends for forever. Okay. And one of my mother's friends is Menomavenda Matiani, and when I was growing up. I understood that Menna Mavenda was an important member of society because she wrote and she spoke truth to power. But I was too young to understand what that meant until I myself decided I need a platform to speak truth to power. And so the experience of being surrounded by some of these renowned journalists in my growing up, the courage of a black woman to challenge the status quo, the political establishment convention, are some of the experiences that have helped to shape my worldview and that is how we know each other.
0: You you you, you sound so knowledgeable about the past, but I don't I don't blame you. I mean you come from, you stand on great shoulders.
1: There we oh, go. Moira. Moira is very much informed. <laughs> and your dad by the way. And you, their I'm friend <laughs> Th- thanks for all the dinner parties. Okay, but you're not here because you are my adopted godmother or Parents, friends, you are here because you are Noma Vendam, Tiani, retired journalist um, and author of Eyes in the Night. And you've just done a book tour of the United Kingdom. Tell me about the book, but also about that tour. It was interesting to me that shortly after it's being published, um, there was a huge reception in the United Kingdom. People were really willing to use the book to confront something.
0: You know that trip was an eye opener for me. There were about 30 writers from all over the world, from as far as Australia. And they were all there because they'd written something about the Anglo-Zulu War of 1879. Mm-hmm. I mean, what was what I found shocking was the fact that the British for them their history is so important that someone will write four books, 10 books about a war that lasted nine months, yeah. because that war lasted about nine months, and people have written many books about that war. F- for the British, it's never ending. I mean, I, I'm I'm looking at them flogging this horse, you know, that this dead horse, and f- to them, it's still great, it's still yeah. a great story. Yeah. And one of the one of the writers at the uh, um, uh, talking at the, at the conference said, one of the letters that was sent to Queen Victoria. Yeah. The person had said, Queen, if the English knew, if, if the Zulus knew how we feared them, the Zulus would have walked all over us. He describes the Zulu regiments as they are uh, approaching their area where they'd be walked. He says, they were like a, 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 a cloud, a dark cloud, mm. As they were coming, singing, and they were approaching uh, where, where the British were. Yeah. And these are, these are stories that the British write about. And these are the stories that we don't know about. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that why I was invited was to tell them the black perspective of how the war impacted on Amazulu. Yeah. Something that historians have overlooked. Yeah. I don't know whether it's uh, By pur- on, purpose. on purpose or yeah. not. But, you know, when you read uh, white historians, in fact, even Professor Lambert was at the conference. And Professor Lambert has written so many books about uh, Zulu um, people and the Anglo-Zulu war. But when you read those books, you don't find anything about Zulu warriors, I mean, we've got Zuru warriors who played a very pivotal role during that war. But they just talk about their own.
1: Yeah, this reminds me of the, the proverb that says, you know, the story of the hunt will always glorify the hunter until the lion learns to write. So unless people document their own Histories. somebody else will give you an interpretation of it. And that's exactly what you are saying to us right now. But let's go to the basics of the Anglo-Zulu War, fought in 1879 uh, between the British Empire and the Zulu Kingdom. In that war, the British Empire prevailed and it ultimately led to the British colonizing what we know today as uh, KwaZulu-Natal or Zulu Land. That Chuaio then became king. And I remember when the book was sent to me and we called you up to say, Menoma of would you come onto the show and you said to me, make sure, Lerato, that you know that we're not talking about the Battle of Blood River here. We're talking about the Anglo-Zulu War. And I said to you, why do you say this to me? And you said, because even black people get this twisted. They get it confused. So tell us about the pivotal wars fought by not just Zulu people, but uh, fought against colonization and then that shape the story of south africa
0: well i mean i, I can't tell them off my head but yeah. there are so many of them i mean there's a, a, a battle of ngome yeah. that's blood river right. there, there is langalibalele um, of, of the amathubi who who, who who fought the, the the invasion of white people and ended up being arrested you know yeah. so there there have been numerous wars but the war that really and really changed the face of KwaZulu-Natal is the eighteen seventy-nine Zulu, uh, 1879 Anglo-Zulu War. I mean, in 1878, around this time, the British were already pitching tents in KwaZulu. And Ukachuayo, who was the king then, was noticing what eh, eh, mm-hmm. you know, trouble is brewing, you know, the clouds are gathering. And he then called an uh, enimbizo and told the people that you have to leave your homesteads and go and hide in the mountains but before that quite a number of things happened you know because there was this man called shepston amaZulu yeah. ambiza somtsewu i don't know i don't know how you come from shepston to become <laughs> somtsewu but this is the man who wanted to annihilate Zulu people at all costs and who wanted the Zulu area to belong to the British. And this is a person who was sort of trying to control Ukachuayo. Mm. One of the stories that happened just before the war was that when the English came, then there was a border between, between Zulu and Natal. Mm. And then there was this, there was Kachwayo's main general, Usihayo, Okay. Usehayo was a very rich man. When they describe his homestead, they say you could see no further than his house. He had 38 wives and he had a sprawling, you know, homestead. So one of his wives, this guy with 38 wives, but one of his wives left and went to stay with a man, a woman, mm-hmm. went to stay with a man along the, the border. Mm-hmm. His son was so incensed that how could his mother do that? Not only leave his father, but go and live in enemy territory. Mm. So it was not only a, a domestic thing, it was also political. Mm. So the son called Metlogazulu went and killed this, this woman, killed his own mother. I mean, you know the relationship between mother and son, mm. but for this man to kill his mother... Or something. So, hearing this, Shepstein came to, U-U, 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 went okay. to Kajua and said, "I want you to bring Metoka Zulu to me, and his father. His father being uh, uh, Katjoye's main general, Osehaye." So, Katjoye said, on, "On my dead body, I can't do that." Mm. So, that's one of the reasons why the, 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 war, the, war, the war broke out. The refusal of Choyu, who was very loyal to his people. And his people
1: loved him. Okay. So this was the second incantation, is my understanding, of the British facing off with the Zulu. The first time round, the Zulu won. The second time round, the British won and then formed the British uh, kingdom or the British colony in the Zulu kingdom. And for me, there's two things that's going on here. There's the defeat of the British by the Zulu, which perhaps said to them, we need a rematch. And then there is the defeat of the Zulu by the English in that rematch. I think both sides are psychologically impacted here. Yes.
0: When Uzulu attacked Isangran, he found the British napping. Mm. They walked over them. They, they, they killed so many of them. They didn't, they, um, um, the English didn't know what to do. And the Zulus seeing their victory, and I always say uh, the influence of itarh, because you know when they went went to war, they would smoke itarh okay. and they would they, they, they would they would forget who they are and okay. they start they would just fight. So when they saw that they had vanquished the, 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 that that particular uh, regiment of the white people, and the trial had warned them, after hitting them, come back. Come back to Ulundi. Did they come back? No. Oh. They went ahead to Rocks Drift, where they were clobbered.
1: Uh-huh. So they got too a little bit too confident. They got too confident, too excited. Okay. And so you say this Anglo-Zulu war, which lasted seven months. Nine. Uh, nine months. Uh, January, it says yeah, January to July. Okay, To September. I'm not going to argue with the historian in the room. So no. this war. When it happened, you say it changes the face, the mindset, the morale of the Zulu nation and ultimately South Africa. What do you mean by that? It
0: it, it changes everything, Lerato. You know, the Zulu nation is vanquished. The king is abducted. The people don't know where their king is. They take the king. They take him to, 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 to Cape Town first and then they take him to England. The Zulu people don't know what's going on. And while he is in England, shepston installs 13 kinglets on the various regions of KwaZulu-Natal where there was one king. shepston the white man from England, puts kinglets... On, on the various uh, regions of KwaZulu-Natal, and he does this with impunity. He even installs Uamu, who is uh, Uzbebu, who is King Kachayo's uh, half-brother at Usutu, which is near Olundi, that area, right. you know. so. While, the, while, 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 while the, the, the nation is rudderless without their king, mm. all this is happening. And the, 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 the lines are now, it, 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 geographical lines are now redrawn. Mm. Who is redrawing this? It's mm. a white person. Mm. You know, it, it, it also, some of the people, some of the Zulu people who are deserters, they start working for white people they start wearing white clothes you know my my my, my gogo talks of seeing her friend w- with a rosary on and she 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 described the, Zorza, the rosary as looking stupid it d- doesn't even have colors you know <laughs> what has happened to you what are you wearing yeah. you know they look at women wearing these long clothes you know, you know so it, it,
1: Zuland was in a turmoil mm. it, 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 it was it, it was yeah. in a turmoil Okay, so 1879, your gogo witnessed this. Can reflect on it. I'd like us to talk about the story through the eyes of your gogo in just a moment.
0: Thought-provoking conversations with Tombele, nine a.m. to midday.
1: I've heard many wars were fought against invasion and colonization. At times, the indigenes prevailed, but there is one war where they didn't. A warrior nation was completely decimated. By invading, uh, colonial guns and weaponry, uh, even a couple of fur trackers were told participated in this particular conflict in 1879, mm-hmm. which launched, which lasted nine months, known as the Anglo-Zulu War, and from it, uh, colonization was entrenched in what we now know as Zululand or gwazul Natal, and in the eyes of the night, uh, the book written by Nomavenda Matiani, her grandmother chronicles. What she saw as the decimation of a people, the confusion of a people and the change in a people once feared warriors suddenly subjugated. And in this book, what we're told is from there, you start to see how um, the roots, some people would say, of what transpired almost a century later uh, with apartheid. Those were the roots of some of these uh issues in the country, if I'm paraphrasing correctly. So your grandmother, what does she remember? What did she remember about this war?
0: Let me just read to you a small paragraph about what she experienced. During our time on the mountain, we were never spared the chilling sound of gunfire. Night after night, we would wake up, would lie awake listening to the muffled boom, boom, This echo would cut through the earpiece in the cave, leaving us shaking with fear and feeling the end had come. Sometimes the intervals between the stillness and the sound of shooting lasted long enough for us to think that the fighting was over, only for it to strike again. Boom! One particular night had been no different from the many other nights of gunshots in the hours of darkness. The shooting stopped around midnight, Only then we were able to catch a nap with the expectation of waking up to another empty and lonely day. But we were woken early by a searing lament coming from the foot of the mountain. The unmistakable echo of pain pierced into the cave at a time when we could have been sleeping. (laughs) The Zulu Nation is finished we are going to what are we going to do the woman wailed at first i thought i was dreaming but as the wailing continued i knew that i was not i opened my eyes to find mother sitting upright on the grass mat i looked at her even in the darkness that enveloped us in the cave i could see the fear in her eyes like me she was petrified suddenly she said i'm not going to get out of here i'm not going to we, we've got to get out of here. She grabbed Ndumbushu, that was her younger sister, and ran out of the cave. I followed her. Now, as I, uh, did I tell you that they were living in the caves? Yeah, you mentioned it earlier. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, because so, they'd been asked to flee to the cave. Yeah, yeah. so this is
0: how, she, how the war, um, how she experienced the war because she was there she may not have been there at the battles but she was she she was there experiencing this 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 um, displacement mm, chaos mm, mm, mm. Mm. and her father was also a general in Cetshwayo's army mm. so he was out at Ulundi or or out in the in, in the in the field in the mm. battlefield he actually died at Kumbula battlefield
1: our great grandfather oh my gosh And you say this kind of displacement, then the defeat, it changed a nation's perspective. What what changed? Because some people say, you know, in this book, yes, it's told now from the eyes of it's an eyewitness account of a person who was there. But the formation of the Zulu nation in itself was quite violent. So when the Zulus then have, uh, shall we say, a full circle moment, why do we say that changes the nation? which nation was formed
0: on custard and jelly? Because even the British, the, 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 the British uh, were formed by violence. They had to fight. You know, they had to fight the, 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 the Germans, they had to fight ever so many other, uh, other uh, armies. You know, it's not... Uh, creating a nation, establishing a nation is not a, it's not a joke. You know, you, you, you make sacrifices. People die and some survive. But the, the fact of the matter is... There is a Zulu nation that was founded by, by, by Ushaga, the son of Senzanga mm.
1: Okay, so when you tell this story today in 2023, how does it help South Africa make sense of a complex past? Because this is not even an apartheid story. This is even before the apartheid story. This is even before the Anglo-Boer War. You
0: know, when I was in England, one of the English asked me, "So you, you Zulus, you, you still hate us?" I said, "Yeah, we still hate you." But you know, after you came the wars and apartheid, <laughs> so we had to shift our hate to face now a new, a enemy. new enemy. Yeah. But you know, at the back of our minds, we still, we still think badly of you because my grandmother mm. describes her home as. Under the Shiane Mountains, mm. which is next to Rockdrift, and she talks of verdant uh, uh, area where everything grew, where you throw anything on the ground and it grew, and in those places it's now white farms.
1: You know, so it it, it, it changed people's lives. Mm. This is not the first book you've written. You've also written Beyond the Headlines, South Africa, A Diary of Trouble, a Troubled Times. And I wonder if reading your book today, do you think I was spot on? I don't get your question. So I'm saying this is not the first book you've written. Mm. There are other books you've written. And you've reflected on the South African modern day experience. And mm-hmm. when you look at South Africa today,
0: mm-hmm.
1: do you look at any of your anthologies, any of your books and think, mm-hmm.
0: I don't say I was spot on. I I, I have a feeling of of disappointment because I saw the struggle and I wrote about the struggle. And then I say to myself, was it all in vain Mm. that today, you know, what we were writing about? You know, I always say to my daughter when she talks about uh, problems in the corporate world, and Mm. I say to her, you know, some of us were there when... Uh, BMF was formed. Yeah. I mean, Eric Mafuna actually called a few of us journalists to say, "I'm, I'm thinking of starting this," and we interrogated the concept. And it was because of the problems that were ex- uh, that that the corpor- black people in corporate were experiencing, mm-hmm. and the fact that today they're still experiencing it. It's it's sad, you know, the, that the story is not changing. Well, then you ask yourself. Is it because we're black? Is it because or is there something wrong with us? If if my my grandmother, I mean, my grandmother would read the newspaper in in 1919, 19, 19, uh, during the Second World War, 1939, yeah. and she would say, they're talking about praying for people who are being killed. Who prayed for us when the English were killing us? You know, so... What my grandmother was talking about and what I saw and what my children are seeing, I
1: fear that my grandchildren will experience it. And for me, that is sad. And there's never enough time to talk to somebody like you. I can see the calls, but we don't have time. Uh, unfortunately, we've run out of time. Perhaps we need to have a second incantation of this conversation with Noma Venda Matiana, retired journalist, uh, famous writer of The world one of those first uh, publications that sort of gave uh, the rest of the world an eye into what it was like to live in an apartheid repressive system. Uh, she's here. we also. we got a chance to be journalists. <laughs> I, feel, I, feel, I feel like if I said to you black tags, we'd start a whole nother thing. Nomavenda <laughs> <laughs> martiana retired journalist and author. Uh, if you want to... Read her book, Eyes in the Night. Please go out there and buy it and read it. But we should have another conversation with Meno soon. Uh, Somebody, Linton says, Lerato, this is so amazing. And it gives us a picture of how things happen. I know Busiso wanted to say something and a few others. Let's do it another time on Power Talk.